Good morning, everyone, and welcome to that morning after the night before as Huddersfield Town somehow throw away a 2-0 lead uh, to the bottom of the league club. We are Huddersfield Town Social. My name's Greg Mara. Joining me, fresh from his appearance on Radio Leeds, is Nick Barlow, Cameron Pope, who's got the corona, uh, Gaz Kay, and making his debut um, after, unlike some people who tend to um, bottle it, Tristan Batley Kay. Thank you very much, gentlemen, for all joining me. Um, we'll start with Wickham and the game itself cruising after 35 minutes you know I, I had two screens on I was watching a bit of the rugby and, and, and a bit of football I was quite happy and comfortable and thought oh Phil's timed that statement perfectly and then it all went wrong um, for probably about 35 minutes on actually we were terrible and it was inevitable what happened to us it, it looks a team devoid of any confidence but a team devoid of any quality and you know, utilising Jonathan Hogg in completely the wrong position. No midfield. I can't really describe it, but Wickham were very much worthy winners. Well, I spent a good half an hour this morning in preparation trying to write a good opening piece. And I just couldn't think of one that did it justice. So I'm just going to say it how it is. This was the low point of my week, that second half, or even that final hour, which is quite surprising given the fact that I got curbing on Monday. It was just... The most difficult viewing we've had to go through in about 10 years of following Huddersfield Town. I think uh, I think it was Greg that mentioned to me the um, the 3-0 lead we had at Bury about a decade ago that we squandered and drew 3-3. That's in the same ilk and that's the only time I can think of a performance that went so horribly, horribly wrong at half-time. Um, looking at it, Wickham, the last time they scored three in an away league game was back in September 2019. That was against Rochdale in League One. And five of those who started that game played yesterday. We shipped three goals to a League One side, one that is struggling like no one has struggled in the Championship uh, in recent years. They'd scored 18 goals in 27 league games. On Saturday, they scored as many against us as they did in the last five league games. And the worst thing is we deserved it. We deserved it because we didn't have a single shot uh, on target in the second half to their five. I'm not quite sure what FlashScore.com um, labels as dangerous attacks. I think it's when you step into the attacking third. Well, whatever they were, we had eight of them. Wickham had 29 in the second half. And that's four times now in the championship we've lost from winning positions at half-time. We've only led nine times, so we're almost as good at throwing away games as we are closing them out. Teams know that they're only one goal away from panicking us, and that is why we are everyone's ideal team to play against now. Well, I think I, I want to start by congratulating Wickham, actually. I thought they were, I actually thought they played quite well yesterday, Wickham. Um, even at 2-0 down, they didn't panic. But I thought 2-0 flattered us. The first 15 minutes, we controlled it. We scored a good goal. Um, but then we seemed to just change stance. You know, we, our second goal, for me, was against the runner play. You know, they'd had two or three really good chances, a couple off the line. Um, but, you know, you have to, you have to, Credit where credit's due, the second goal was was a goal of real quality. So you looked at that and in true form, we couldn't see it out. You know, Mehmet, who played in, in centre mid for in a bit of a free role for Wickham causes problems all afternoon. I noticed at the start of the second half, Carlos had stuck uh, by Echo, you know, on his toes to try and stop him from playing. But even that made no difference. The second that goal went in and it was 2-1 at half time, a blind man on a galloping horse could see what was coming. And when you talk about quality, the irony is I think our starting eleven was of a better quality than theirs. I think you'd struggle to say that that isn't the case. But what was interesting when you look at the bench, I felt they had a better bench than we did. You know, the Jonathan Beater on there, who, <clears throat> who's still a decent player, um, 
the winger who came on to replace McCleary, whose name I can never remember, but you know, the boys lightning and causes problems with defenders. So, you know, it was a it, it was it wasn't a in some ways it wasn't a surprise. And I think at, at three two, I was speaking to my son on text and he turned he turned off at three two. He knew the game was done. Um, and he was probably right. You know, I feel a bit disappointed. <clears throat> Excuse me. I feel a bit disappointed. Um, you know, there was zero level of, of commitment to the cause. Once once we'd gone level, certainly, we were, we were treading water. <clears throat> and a, a poor and limited team really completely dismantled town in the second half. Completely dismantled them. Um, you know, we just can't seem to deal with any kind of setback during a game. The mentality looks fragile. And that's before you talk about the physical ability and, and the injuries that we're carrying. So, yeah, disappointing day. But, you know, as I say, you have to give credit where credit's due. And I thought Wickham came and, and again, like a lot of teams now, did a job. They know where they, they know what they need to do to get a point or three points from us. And uh, we played right into their hands. Look, this game just encapsulates everything that's wrong with Huddersfield Town at both ends of the pitch. Wickham conceded by far the most goals in the league. You can see why. First goal for Town, good passing. But nobody picks up Bakuna. He's in acres of space. I probably could have got that header in. Second goal, it's a decent finish from Mbenza. But again, he's given plenty of time. No one gets a foot in. Keeper probably should have done better. But then you look at the goals that we've given away for Wickham. There's a lot of people having to go at O'Brien um, playing left back. But actually, all the goals came down the other side. And Peeper, as, as good as he is attacking, I think he leaves a lot to be decided defensively. But if you look at the goals in isolation, Mehmete, nobody gets a booting on him. And, it, and the warning signs were there way before that. I, I agree, guys. I, I think as soon as that goal, our first goal went in, we kind of mentally, it looked like we'd switched off. It looked like we thought it was job done. All right, so it's only Wickham now. We've got a goal up. Wickham puts feet up and... Before our second goal, I thought Wickham were getting back into the game. I thought the second goal was against the run of play. And the warning signs were there. Um, just before the goal, I think the star cleared one off the line. And you knew you knew what was coming. And you just think, right, just hold out to half time. Go in at 2-0, regroup and go again. But we switch off. No one gets a foot in on Mamete. Good finish, to be fair. But they're just far too easy. Second goal, Hog. Keo, don't deal with it, the big guy. Um, is it Ikpanzo? It, it I'm trying to remember what his name is. But nobody get nobody gets a challenge. And if you're going to bring him down and challenge him, do it outside the box. They have plenty of opportunity to bring him down. I mean, at least you give, a, you give a free kick away, but you can regroup. Nobody does it. It allows him to get into the box. Easy penalty. Going to score it all day long. And then the third goal, Saad doesn't deal well with the header. The, he loses out. One of our players heads it into his own box. I don't know who that is, but a Paul in Edda. And again, nobody's picked Knight up in the box. There's nobody near him. And it's a good finish. But it's just lack of, whether it's lack of concentration, whether it's tiredness, whether it's nerves. I, d I don't know what it is, but we always have to work so hard to score against teams. And the teams against us, it's just a walk in the park. We just gift goals away all the time. Looking at the other end of the pitch, 54% possession, RXG 0.9 compared to Wickham's 1.73. We only had four attempts on target all game. We had 460 passes compared to their 287, you know, which just shows that you, know, you can have as many passes and possession all day long, but we're doing nothing with it. It's not constructive possession. It's just 
to me to you sideways backwards no cutting edge whatsoever Wickham had 11 shots from inside the box we only had five so no matter what we were doing it wasn't working and we just constantly persist with this notion of trying to play attractive football being patient and that's fine but when it's like 10 minutes to go when you're drawing with Wickham down at the bottom end of the table that I think of prior to this one away game all season and that were against Birmingham who were terrible themselves you've got to mix things up a bit you know and I think we did eventually stick Saar up front for the last few minutes but it's too little too late but then you know I want to have a go at the manager and in most circumstances 99% of the time I would be but then you look at the bench you look at the options to bring on who's coming on who's coming on to change it Richard oh dear it's it's a culmination of factors how we've got to this position. And I honestly, looking at these fixtures, I cannot see where the next point's coming from. Borough, yeah, they're on poor form, but look where they are on the table. Always difficult to play against. Derby, picked up. Swansea, looking really good up there towards the top. There's only one way we seem to be going here, lads, and that's down to League One. Yeah, I can't, I can't really come on and defend anything that you've all said, to be honest. Um, I thought yesterday going kind of 1-0 up, maybe maybe not quite 2-0 up, I completely agree with Gareth that I thought we, we scored against runner play completely. Um, uh, but I was thinking, well, this is going to be easy tomorrow, I'll go on and, you know, I can gloat, you know, I can go on and, and spin this positiveness. Um, and, and in all honesty, I think... Quite as, as as Nick said that as soon as as soon as uh, Mehmeti scored, I just thought it, it just drained out of us. You could see the the confidence and everything completely drain out of us. Uh, I think probably f- for me, um, and I guess I guess to a certain extent in the next couple of weeks, we we might hope that we will get some of this. Last two games, you know, Wickham and Luton, I think both teams have been just full of energy, hard-working, honest, you know, complete grafters. <sighs> the odd the odd player in there, I think, um, Luton, there was there was that lad, Jewsbury Hall, um, and, and yesterday, Mimeti, with a sprinkle of kind of a bit of quality in there. But let's be honest, that Panzu yesterday, it, you, you could have put Jermaine McGilvery up front you know, and it were exactly the same thing, wasn't it? You know, it was power, it was strength, it was pace, and and we just couldn't deal with it at all. That being said, I thought we did start pretty well, and I thought Lewis O'Brien actually offered something to us that we've been we've been missing from from both Pippa and Toff in the last few weeks, and and I think both of them started the season kind of a you know a rate of knots and. And, and both of them just looked quality, um, and I think they they both looked quite tired. And and where at the start of the season they would look for, you know, quite quite cute passes, quite quite considered passes. It now seems to be just slinging it in box. Um, and I thought yesterday O'Brien's movement actually gave us some of that back. I thought Campbell had obviously been on Twitter and Instagram and wherever last week because he came out trying to show that he was, you know, there was something more about him. Um, he huffed and puffed quite a bit. He, he obviously set the goal up. He looked busy. But I think that highlighted something that 
that at the start of the season we were all raving about and and was that actually I don't actually think that when Campbell went outside of the box many people got into the box behind him you know I thought Holmes Holmes should have been the person that got in there I appreciate when Campbell put the ball back in for for Bakuna Bakuna was there but I think probably if you looked at uh, who else was in there? I don't think there was many, many other players in and around there, you know. And that was something that that we set almost our game on at the start of the season. Other than that, I think Sar, um, I mean, is is the sublime to the ridiculous, isn't he? And and I thought I thought this was one of his better games, if I'm honest with you. Um, I think, as Cam said, he cleared two off the line early doors in the in the first half. Um, you know, and 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 I actually did. I actually thought he didn't in the first half waste the ball quite as much. I thought second half he was really trying to push the ball into the midfield, and I think it had just gone. And I and I think that just summed us up. As soon as that goal went in on half time, we just went. And you know, when we when we when we had people like Moy, you know, people like that, they they they'd go and grab the game by the scruff of the neck. Um, even you'd hope Hogg would go and do it. Probably don't have the quality, but you'd hope he'd go and you know bang someone in a tackle or something like that just to galvanise people. And they just don't seem any of that. And I just think that we seem to have we seem to have lost that high intensity that that kind of was our game. To be quite honest with you, at the start of the season and that we were quite kind of enjoying. It just seems to be quite turgid and you know we we just seem devoid of ideas once that kind of um fizz goes out of us i guess you're right about you know you're right about peeper and toffer we've talked about on here before i think the you know the way that carlos wants the fullbacks to play they've got to have energy they've got to get up and down the pitch and those two have got it you know i, I think nobody's doubting people's quality Certainly not as an attacking force. I think there's a few questions about his defensive abilities, which is which is valid. Um, but you know, I think we we highlighted a need for some extra legs at, at fullback, some options to give those lads a rest when they needed it, and we chose not to sign anybody. We stuck with Jaden Brown. Jaden Brown managed to knock himself out. It seems. I don't know. He did dropped his wallet on his head or something. I don't really know. But you know, they. Uh, that that's the challenge, and, and I'm with you. Just I, I was I was saying to my son, I thought the first ten minutes, I thought Lewis O'Brien looked brilliant. He was so dynamic; they didn't know what to do with him. That number two, every time he got the ball, they just knocked it past. Is it Grimmer the right back? The bloke couldn't keep up with him. But of course, what happens then as we get pressed and drop deeper, that attacking intensity goes out of the game. People are still trying to get forty yards forward and leaving big gaps, which means their players can dance through our left hand through our right hand side down their left hand side. So, I think you you. You pretty much summed it up spot on for me, mate. And and, and I'm actually, I think you're right. I, I want to give Campbell a mention. I think we've given him some stick on here. And I thought yesterday, I thought his link-up play was was excellent. I guess we'll talk about the incoming transfers and people who played. But I was really disappointed with Holmes yesterday. He contributed nothing for me. On Fraser Campbell, um, and I, I watch him. It's what I end up doing. You know, obviously, when somebody gets a bit of stick, I used to do this with Naki Wells. When Naki Wells got a lot of stick, you've got to you've got to look at what Campbell does. Campbell's an effective striker when he's got two kind of inside wing inverted wingers or inside forwards up there with him. So when Josh Caroma was was fit and firing, he's young, he's raw, he's probably not just the kind of championship prospect 
that we think he is yet, Coroma, but he's fantastic. Campbell's kind of movement was to take the centre-backs out of the game. If he doesn't have the support, and he didn't have the support from either wing, again, because, again, we've got a dearth of wingers. Dwayne Holmes isn't a winger. He's a probably a pocket midfielder. Um, Aaron's is injured after coming in. And Benza, um, well, he's gone back to being Benza from beforehand, you know. Clearly, he's moving. January fell through. But you've got to get your best out of the players in, in the way they play. And I don't think Fraser, I think Fraser Campbell's, we've, we've given him some stick, rightfully so, but I think some of it's gotten a bit too much. If you've got to realise how he plays, and if you can't play to that person's strengths, you, you're in um, you're in trouble. And, and Tristan, you, met, you mentioned Johnny Hogg there. Johnny Hogg was playing a completely unfamiliar position yesterday. You know, centre-back and then being asked to cover right-back. And, and, and I'm sorry, I'm going to nick something the resident Mike Bassett who couldn't be asked coming on because he lost a game of Australian football. Um, 3-0, kill, hashtag kill Royale. Um, points out Hogg was having to cover right back because of uh, Andy, Ke- uh, Andy Keogh, Richard Keogh's basically <laughs> lack of movement because the way Carlos Corbran wants his uh, centre-backs to play is to go out a bit wider and you definitely see it early in the season with Richard Stearman, I think when Reg was playing he could do it, Keogh can't and, and, and that comes back to that disconnect between who was signing for what positions I feel for, I feel for Carlos a bit, I don't want to criticise him too much because He's been. He came. He's probably been sold something and promised to be back. He's gone to the to the transfer committee as we we always take the piss out of and said, "Oh, I need a centre back because we've got so many injuries and and clearly Critchlow Noble and Reg aren't quite where they need to be yet." And he's been given Richard Keogh. Um, it, it it's telling and and if you're not going to back Carlos Corberan, why bring him in in the first place? Which is is kind of the point, and that's why Johnny Hogg. Is getting pelters because he's not playing a position he should be playing. He is a box-to-box ball-winning midfielder. He's, you know, we saw the best of him um, when he first came in with Clayton and, and Norwood around, and we saw him with Moy even to an extent last season when when we saw Smith Rowe could drive forward. We saw the best of him playing him as a kind of a, a centre back to cover right back. It, it's square pegs in round holes all over again. I think, I think there's two things to say there, isn't there? You know, firstly, as we as we put the Campbell point to bed, I think you're absolutely right. We can fall into the trap of measuring strikers just on their goal output. And you can't do that with Campbell because his reading of the game is like nobody else's. And without him, I don't think there is any link-up play between the midfield and the attack. He is that catalyst uh, going forward. He, he, you know, we I'd hate to think what position we would be in uh, without him at the moment. And he's just chipping with goals too. You know, So I think he's definitely, I don't think we, he always expected him to play quite as uh, important a role this season. I don't think we expect him to play quite as many games, but no, I do think there'll be a renewal there and I can definitely see that it will be a good move to have him again next year, you know, no matter what level um, we're playing at. But then if you look at Hogg exactly, you know, we're playing a massively out of position in an unfamiliar role. It's not like sticking uh, Lewis O'Brien at fullback. You know, Hogg is not, Hogg is not a defender. And so, again, we're looking at it and we're thinking, well, we're in this position because, we've, again, everything seems to trace back to recruitment, doesn't it? And the fact that you're having to, 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 to fit and jam square pegs into round holes just shows that this was a, that this was a mistake. You know, the fact that Jaden Brown, OK, is out with concussion. Um, you can say that's unlucky, but that's what happens in the course of a season. You get players injured in training. We've just not we've, we've not been prepared for it. We've not been prepared for it. We're way for thin on the ground. And that's why now we're having to pull players out of jobs that they can do well to, to, to fill in for jobs that other players can't do. So one, it's the recruitment. We've brought in the wrong players at the, 
at the wrong time. We didn't see the best of Dwayne Holmes yesterday by a long show, which Keo, I've never really been convinced that he was the right man for the job and it was just a bum on a seat. And so again, you know, we find ourselves now, our shortcomings are going to be amplified by the fact that, okay, we've lost Toffolo for three games now. We didn't have a fullback to bring in. We've lost one of the ones we did have. So we have really Dehaney, if you want us to come in there. I don't know, you look at it and you just think, right, well, this is our, this is all our own doing. And you could say you've had bad luck with injuries. But then when you've cut down on the medical staff, I know we we, we do like to, you know, um, hold a candle out for Dr. John Eager. But this is what happens when you try and run it on a League One budget. You know, and you don't have the support staff and we get all these soft tissue injuries. And so there's, you can't say that it's bad luck because everything is fitting into this puzzle. And, 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 and the root cause is the root cause. We don't have enough bodies. We don't have enough bodies and we don't have the right ones. And so exactly. I feel I feel for Carlos because there was nothing. He, he was on a hand to nothing. There was nothing he could do with his squad to get us out of the mire. You know, the best we could hope for was um was was mid table okay because we we were we were at a nice position in december where we thought okay mid table now equal ground probably nearer to the playoffs than we are to relegation not going to go anywhere but hey you know this is okay well that was the best it was going to get then the injuries started to come in we hit um that torrid uh, run of um saturday midweek saturday midweek dropping like flies we had a you know the promised land of january that never came to fruition and we were never going to really bring anyone in we think it was just a false hope really and so that was the best it was ever going to get and now we're looking, we're staring down the barrel of a gun, looking at all the teams below us with games in hand. And yeah, I don't, I don't see where the points are going to come from now. And so, you know, I, I look at it and I think, okay, I feel for Carlos there. He can sell the dream and we've not delivered on it. However, you know, we can't completely absolve him of the blame either. You've got to be adaptable in this, in this line of work. And I think it was quite clear to everyone after through the second half that it wasn't working. They were finding so much room in behind Peter uh, and O'Brien and they were hitting us again and again and again. It was all one way traffic that second half, and there was and there was no there was there was no change up. It was all one way, and so you know it's hard to put, it's it's hard for the first time now to say okay this is all on recruitment because we do have to do better with what we've got because like it or lump it that is what we've got until the end of the season now, and you know you look at what we're trying to bring in and we're trying to pad out our our strike force with with Umar Nayas if if the rumours are true, but then you know by the time he comes through. Uh, quarantine and visa checks and whatnot. We're going to be halfway through March. What's the point? What's the point? You know, we're going to have to sort this out with the players we've, with the bodies we've got and the players we've got now, um, the ones that are fit. And so this, this is this is all our chickens coming home to roost. And so you know, we might end up re-recording this in a day's time. Carlos Corberan gets the sack. <laughs> Who knows? But it's hard to say. It's just hard to look at, given that one year on, less than a year on, we're in a worse position, a worse position. Than we were last year because at least last year okay we had a horrendous start and the Cowleys arrested the slide and then you know we all almost dropped back in the last few games didn't we um we pulled it out the bag now we are in free fall room free fall I don't know what's going to break the landing at the moment the, the really frightening thing guys is that we were lucky to lose 3-2 yesterday if that's an half decent championship side that's 6-2 right there they had so many chances two cleared off the line I think Hogan you know Schofield makes a good save um, from point-blank header. So it could have easily been 6-2 and Carlos looked ill after it came, just stormed straight down. And I know he just walked straight off down the tunnel at the end anyway, but it looked a similar situation with um, towards the end of Sievert's reign when you see <laughs> images of like Devo and Phil storming straight off down and Carlos just walking down the tunnel looking sort of broken and I feel sorry for him like I, I know there's a there's a there's a lot of argument amongst the fans on Twitter saying well you can't put all the blame at, at the chairman's fault and 
you know, Carlos clearly is rigid to his style and he is a bit stubborn sometimes in the way he plays. But to be fair, they, he's been brought in specifically to play that style of football. They brought him in knowing that that's his style and that's the way he wants to play. And he's been sold this this ethos, this vision, and he, he's just not been supported. So, But then you can't... You can't have it both ways. If you want it to play, mix it up and play football where it's just digging deep and grind out result, we might as well just stick with the Cowlers because the teams would have been a lot more organised, difficult to beat. It wouldn't have been as attractive football to watch, but we'd have got the results. Uh, and I know that's easy to say in, in hindsight now, but you bring in a lad in with, you know, with not much experience, um, a first team football, he's, he's got his ethos this idea of how he wants to play and the chairman's bought into that and brought him in and they've asked him to play this way you must give him the tools for the job you know it's like setting me up in an office job and saying right we want you to do this job and you've got a lovely office and everything ready and then I sit down there's no computer you know expected me to work you, you can't you've got to have you've got to be given the right tools to play the way that you want to play um, and it, it just hasn't been backed for me. And to me, that's the root cause of the problem, that he's not going to change the way that he plays because that is his style. And we brought him in to play that style, to be fair. It's not his fault that the players out there capable of implementing his style. Um, I, I honestly just don't know. I mean, the, the, I, can, I can easily see him walking because you, you look at that statement from Phil and you think, well... He ain't going to be getting the players of the quality anytime soon to change things by the looks of it. So what's the future holding? I, I think he's been, it's not, I mean, we're, we're going on about recruitment like we always seem to do. And we do nothing but more about that. But, you know, the other thing, the other side of Carlos's reputation was that he was a, a, a youth coach and he could work with kids. And I, and I think what part of probably the dream he was sold by, Phil, was we had a, a B team, an under-23 team, whatever it was at the time, packed with, potential superstars and, and I think it, you know people have, we've moaned about the amount of youth who's tried to squeeze into, into an individual lineup and some of that's not through choice that's through necessity but I also think he's been a bit sold a bit of a put with that I think he thought he was coming in and would be able to as Leeds do find one or two players every season that progress and play at a good level and then they sell for big money you know and and uh, it's clear that the, the the vast majority of the kids, and it's not unk- it's not unkind to call them kids, aren't good enough. Uh, they're just not good enough, Nick. And I think I think that's been his battle. You know, I don't think he's demanding six or seven signings because I don't think that's not the Bielsa way. He likes a tight squad, doesn't he? So I can't see Carlos wanting a thirty-five man squad. I don't think that's what he's after. But what he's after, what he was expecting, I think, was that the assets that were already in the club were of a much higher quality than they than they clearly are. I suspect with that as well, a couple of years off, we've seen um, Ben Jackson, who was one of those who was supposed to be ready to make that step up. He's gone online to Bolton. Now he's getting regular uh, loan time. and We've said that that's probably the better way to do it. They need to go online for half a season, a season, and then be brought into the squad. And perhaps we're two years off where that position's going to be. But also remember, Leeds United have a functioning academy, a proper academy not what we have because Dean Oyle decided to scrap that for some reason. Um, uh, probably the best time to keep it because we were a Premier League cl- club. Um, there are some players in there, Ryan Schofield, um, Matty Daly, Reg, who, who, who are clearly 
close to being there, but they're a, a year or two off. Um, it's about timing and, and, you know, time is everything in life, but especially in football. And if you don't get everything right, you are going to be in the situation that we're in. And especially when you look at that bench yesterday, and it's just to look at the bench. Pritchard's probably one of the only ones you could say, maybe he can come on and change the game. Um, and that's where we are. And I, I feel really, really bad as a town fan at the minute because Nick said it earlier, where's the next win coming from? But Nick also said something about the, the, the statement that came out on um, on Friday and it was, it was just using that as a nice segue into it because had we won yesterday, I, I think the timing of that would have been perfect. But the statement itself raises more questions than it answers, um, notably around wage bill, um, which seems to have gone up despite players leaving. Um, and also the enhances the disconnect between fans and, and, and the club because there's a, a, a bit in there that mentioned that fans expect, to, uh, fans expect the club to spend millions, which, as we've seen, um, isn't really the case. They want a strong enough squad to compete. What did you guys make of that statement? Well, I tell you what, way to ratchet up the pressure on what was already the biggest game of the season. I thought the timing was 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 very strange. And yeah, okay, we could say that it would have been perfect had we won. Shouldn't come to that because we should have won anyway. We were playing against the side who, who couldn't win for love nor money coming into um, coming into Saturday's meetup. Um, so that was the first thing that struck me as very odd. It just seemed a, a, a really strange time to go straight to the press. And then I say go straight to the press loosely because they didn't really. And, and this is the point I want to make. There was enough for some people, you know, and, and certainly encouraged a lot of Phil supporters to, you know, label any of the critics as doom-mongering and, uh, um, and, and, and pessimistic. But for me, it was noise and not very much substance. Um, look, and I appreciated one part of it in particular, so I'm not going to be all negative about this. I appreciated his admittance that the judgment after three transfer windows uh, claim hadn't come through. OK, that was before COVID, yeah. Get that, OK. Um, I think that COVID was thrown in a lot as an excuse and we're forgetting that all 92 clubs in England have had to deal with COVID and so I don't think it washes to um, absolve the club of, of all blame um, but other than that I, I don't think there was very much new in there there was a lot of words it took me about 10 minutes to read it all and I don't think we learned a right lot from it and so I saw a lot of fans praising um, Phil Hodgkinson for his openness as well as if it were brave to publish a statement like that on, on the, your club's own website um, but for me, that's not communication. You know, there's no dialogue with the fans. There was no chance to pose questions about that. And there was no risk of him being held to account. It's it's a monologue, you know? And so for me, my, my, my issue here is that, okay, I think a lot of the community now have come together and realising that something's going wrong and there's a massive disconnect between fan base and, and, and the club. But if you're happy with that, I mean, you know, is it just, I wonder about that faction of supporters. Are you, are you just wanting everything to go back to how it was and wanting everything to be okay? And so we'll just praise whatever comes out. We might have as well have had, you know, the reserve team's lunch menu published for all it told us. I don't think really that that just throwing out some some statement on, on your, the club's own website is going to answer a lot of questions. If you want to answer fans' questions, answer fans' questions, you know, whether that's in a live Q&A or questions submitted even an interview is better and you can always choose what you answer and what you don't answer in that but at least it wasn't just a monologue because there was no chance to pick apart the figures which I'm sure we will do um, in due course there was no chance for any follow-ups and so for me it's lip service I, I, I wasn't impressed by it I really wasn't impressed by it um, 
and so you know a lot of fans will still be happy to lap that up and i just to them i say well come on you know let's think critically about this now and so if you're happy with a, a load of uh training photos and then one-sided statements then okay but for me that's information not communication and as for what was said in it well you look at it again and there was a lot of talk of um of, of how we've been very unlucky but we create our own look we've got ourselves into this situation now you know we we didn't recruit and that was there was a very long roundabout way of saying we didn't recruit right but we can throw as many excuses under this, the sun out there um, no one else quite finds us in, a, in, in as dire a situation as we are in the championship now. The other 23 teams have dealt well um, with COVID. We knew what they knew what they needed. We knew what we needed. What we needed, at the very, very least, was a striker, which we didn't get. Um, and so, OK, uh, one, one thing that stood out to me was uh, the mention of Alejandro Adebayo, the lad from Walsall. Um, I imagine that was who was uh, being referred to when we said that we uh, were looking at bringing a player in late on deadline day. And then uh, we decided for the move that was being proposed by his parent club that he would need to be an uh, instant impact. Everyone we needed was an instant impact. You know, we brought in Sorba Thomas for the future. We don't need more B-team players. Of course we needed someone for instant impact. And I can say, if that's why we're claiming we walked away from it, well, Luton didn't mind. He's good enough for them. So why wasn't he good enough for us? I think it raises more questions than answers, and I don't think it answers very many. From, from my perspective, um, obviously, I think this is probably... The, the one true reason why I'm on um, is kind of my different kind of perspective on things. I, I, I think with this, with the, with the question and answer that he did in the cinema, with any single kind of communication that, that Hoyle did, it's sound bites. You know, every single bit of it is sound bites. And, and, I, and I guess to me, ultimately, what happens on the pitch dictates the mood. You know, and and I think I think you're quite right, Cam. Um, it was poorly timed. Hoyle, for 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 the for the one thing that I will say he was exceptional at was the PR and judging the mood of the room. And when when he wanted to get a point across, he came and he put a point across. When he was when he was ill and uh, the the club were going kind of absolutely south i think it was in the january he came out and, and he obviously made the 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 um the famous we're not sleepwalking into relegation thing and again it was a soundbite you know it was it, it it was judging what people wanted to hear at the time and ultimately it's irrelevant to me i i, I think you're only as good as as what comes out on the pitch and and if that turns out you know, well, then fair enough. As you quite rightly said, if we'd have won yesterday, it'd have probably it'd have probably dampened things down a bit. It wouldn't have stopped things, but it'd have dampened things down a bit. I think if we'd have, um, uh, as as you say, you know, we, we we lost yesterday, and it's just magnified everything. I think that if I'm honest with you, in football we. We seem to, or certainly in my opinion, we seem to think that we deserve um, kind of a lot more than, you know, than any other industry. And I, I had this conversation with Ian on Twitter the other day and he kind of, he, he highlighted that that football fandom is very different to, to anything else. And, you know, we go into grounds and we sing and, you know, and, and, and we go and watch games down, you know, 
on a Tuesday night in freezing cold in Yeovil kind of thing and, and all this kind of thing. And it doesn't make sense, you know. And, and I, if I'm honest with you, I think that... I, I, I think that, quite honestly with you, we we have to, or certainly in my opinion, we we, we have to look at this as, as a business, you know, and... and here and now I'll say the striker thing we got wrong completely and utterly we got it wrong but I don't think we can go out and spend money if I'm quite honest with you and and I and I don't think we I don't think Phil has the money you know and I don't and and by that I don't mean that he's he's broke I don't think he has the millions that that Hoyle has um but I but I I, I think he's probably got enough to to run a football club what what I I think probably where I differ from other people is is this kind of my choice to look at it as a business and I think I think one thing that that is quite um, quite apparent to me is that I think probably fans want um, fans want the club to to run a little bit like. Just, just for argument's sake, like a Burnley type club, you know, get into the Premier League, be savvy with signings and and that kind of thing. But in order to 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 operate like that, I think we have to operate more like a business. And I think the the finances of the game are that messed up that if we were to try and go out and sign players, when the the year that we went up, we were paying something like. In, in wages and, and transfers, we were paying 153% of our um, income. So for every 100 quid that we paid, we were paying 153 quid out. How's that sustainable? You know, and let's be honest, we didn't we didn't go out and blow a budget on anyone. You know, we I think we probably spent five or six million maybe the year that we that we went up, and we were we were kind of in that much of a a deficit towards our income. Hoyle did. You know, did bankrollers, and I think, I think the difference here is that, you know, Hoyle has that ability to bankrollers, and I think Phil probably has the ability to to keep the club on the straight and narrow, and that's about it. So I think, I think for me, the the there is a there is something to come from this, and I think, I think if I'm quite honest with you, you know. Whether Phil came out on Friday night and said that, you know, I'm going to pile millions and millions in, I don't think that we're at a point now where fans, I think fans have gone past that, the majority of fans have gone past that, and I, I don't think anything he said would have would have been any benefit to anyone, to be quite honest with you, and I think it would have raised questions no matter what he said. So I, I think we are at a bit of a stage where, you know, it's do or die, and and quite honestly with you, I'm, I don't have the answers. I don't I don't actually know where we're gonna go with with Phil because I think for quite a, a large proportion of the fans, it's it's gone too far. Well, I think you, a couple of things there for me, Tristan. I think that you're right. We are we're stuck with Phil now. I think we said this last week. The opportunity to get an investor who had pockets as deep as Dean's has been and gone. You know, we're not an attractive proposition. We're back to being a, 
bottom end championship, top end league one club that makes a loss. You know, that's not that attractive to anybody, is it? Our promotion was a miracle. You know, it genuinely was a once in a lifetime, in our lifetimes, miracle. And I think what what's the worst thing for me is it's a it, it's a massive wasted opportunity. Dean's illness couldn't have come at a worse time. And and although people will, and including me, have criticised him for deciding he wants to a loan repaying that he said was never going to be repaid. That's his words, not ours, by the way. That's his right, and I don't think his illness helped. You know, I think Wagner lost his nerve. Um, but he made, you know, it does make me wistful. All this, I miss the real no limits mindset we had. Not not the pretend one that Phil says we've got at the minute. I mean the real one. You know, we were. You missed those stands jumping on a match day. I miss. Christoph Buhler racing out of the dugout to celebrate a tackle. You know, I, I miss a team who understood what it meant to a northern working class town to to actually mix it and upset people. And it was a team full. It was a team full of players that cares. And it, and and that's that's what we've lost. We've missed. We've genuinely missed an opportunity to set the club up to be competitive from here on in. And and you know, I'm with you. It's a business. You know, I, I'm. I run a business and and my wife runs a business and you have to manage your business accordingly. But the biggest thing that came, I mean, I've got, I made many notes about the, about the, about Phil's, let's call it a review. He started to call it a review, didn't he? You know, the one, the one that concerned me the most, I'll probably bore you with a couple of others in a minute, but you know, when he got to said, I've got two comments he wants to clear up. First of all, I was gutted. He wasn't going to clear up whether West Vale squash club was open or not. I was gutted. But actually, what worried me more was beyond the three windows thing, which was a complete contradiction to what he said previously about this summer being the biggest transfer window. If that was the case, you would never complete it in three, Phil, were you? Um, was the fact that, you know, he's admitting he didn't have the cash. So he's telling us he was going to run Huddersfield Town through profits made through Pure Group. He doesn't have the personal cash reserves to fund the championship club. You know, when he took over, he said, and nobody made him say this, I can fund this club to the level that Dean did, and I will. Now, I appreciate COVID has changed the scenario, but what he's admitting was, if he was going to do that, he was doing it through his business enterprise. That's not sustainable. He's the one that's using debt reduction and sustainability as a reason for running the club as we are. So that that's a big contradiction. I mean, the wage bill thing, he's saying the wage bill now is 19 million quid. Okay, I'll take that as read. I have to, you know, I can't dispute that. We, our wage bill when we got promoted was 12 million. Our, our turnover was 11.3 million the year we got promoted. So, you you know, you're 15 million, including transfers. He's probably right, Trist. But, you know, 12 million at football inflation rates in four years, 19 million is probably less than 12 million in equivalent terms. You know, he talked about getting value for wages going forward. Well, I have to be honest, the ones he's brought in, I haven't seen many that look value for the wages he's paying. So that's a complete contradiction. He says he can balance it. He can. He believes he can strike a balance between reducing the debt and making it sustainable. Well, I've yet to see that. You know, he admits the striker was left to the last minute, and that's really interesting that you said Cam about Luton deciding he was worth it. Well, Luton's head of recruitment, head of football operations, is Mick Harford. Now you can call, you can dispute whether Mick was a quality footballer or not, but what he is, he's experienced. He played at an international level, and he knows Luton Town inside out. He knows the club. He knows what it needs. He knows what the fans want to see. They've decided he's worth it. We've decided, in our great knowledge, he was only good enough to play for the under twenty threes. And, and that, and I think <clears throat> my biggest concern with all of this, when you go back to Hoyle being great at the PR, what Hoyle did have, he did have some people around him who could feel it. 
You know, Hoyle was one step removed from the fans. He wasn't on Twitter. He wasn't on social media. I know his sons were, but, you know, he got he got it fed. You know, people like Sean Jarvis, who, if anybody wants to look, go and read his Twitter replies last night about why he's no longer at the club, is worth, is worth reading. Because he confirms what we believe, which is the senior management in Huddersfield Town is an echo chamber. It's people telling each other things they want to hear. And whilst ever we've got that kind of mentality at the top of the club, we're only heading one way. The money, put the money to one side. We've got Phil now. It is what it is. And I'm with you. You know, I, do I like him personally? I don't know the bloke, so I ain't got an opinion on whether he's a nice guy or not. How would I know? And I've said many times on here, he's got a damn sight more money than I'll ever have. You know, he's he's wealthy. He's a wealthy individual. So that is not a debate for me. My debate is: is he setting himself up to give himself the best chance of success? And I don't believe he is. He wouldn't run one of his pure companies in that way. He will recruit and headhunt the best management team he can find in an industry. And what have we got? Marsh and Bromby. So Phil's going to do us another review in a month. I've made a list of five things, Phil, not that he's listening. I've made a list of five things that I'd like to see. First of all, I think either Carlos needs his staff bolstering with some experience because the, the, the management team in the dugout are as bad. It's him, two mates and Danny Schofield. They're all telling each other what they want to hear. It needs bolstering with somebody with some experience. I want Marsh and Bromby gone. I want him to get an experienced head of football operations in. Because I don't think Carlos needs changing, definitively. Um, I hope Mark Devlin gets some cufflinks for Valentine's Day, and that's really important. But most of all, what I like is that he would start to, to think outside and start to look for additional investment. He owns 75% of an asset sell some of the asset. You can still re- you can still retain control if that's what you want. You know, and Dean needs to be willing to look at supporting in additional investment in the club. If he gets his debt repaid, which it looks like he will, he owns 25% of the club for nothing. You know, if he cares for the club as much as he says he does, help Phil use that shares to find some money because that's what we're going to need. We're going to need some additional investment. But whilst, it, to be honest, Phil could be a billionaire but whilst ever he's being told what he wants to hear by people around him, he'll never make the right decision for me. Can I add something onto that as well? As well as understanding whether Westfield Squash Club is actually open or not, that we really need to know that. Um, I, I, I agree, by the way, with the point of experience. I was having this conversation on Twitter this morning with uh, Charlie Johnson, who used to do a bit of writing on town. We were saying that Wagner had uh, Mike Marsh, who, who went to Purdue, England, uh, 17s, and now he's, I think he's Swansea's first team coach if I'm right and uh, Lee Clark when he was young had Derek um, Fazalakari who Sven decided to pinch in 2011 when he pinched Peltier as well but but I think um, and I don't want to say where the Rhodes' money is but um, you know we did sell quite a lot of players in, in the summer in in Grant he's 15 million over five years over Mounier who scored a banger last week you know so they all went for fees. So there are there is a good pot of money still coming into the club. I know Kobe's lost that in wages, etc. But a bit more of a blueprint about how the B team's going to work. Because uh, what, what we've seen so far is um, Danny Grant's come in from Ireland. I, I know he's picked up an injury. Sober Thomas has come in. But if you're going to fill a B team up, team up kind of like Brentford has, you need... And again, it's investment that we probably don't have at the minute. But you need to be signing seven, eight of them players every year, not just one or two. Because otherwise, what they're going to be is options for the first team squad if you're struggling, as we saw with Sober Thomas making his debut yesterday. 
we need if we are going to have a vision for the future that's a little bit more sustainable um there needs to be a blueprint that, that fans can get behind because Gaz, he, he said it the no limits thing the wagner Re- revolution it's someone something and some the whole collective town community got behind when when dean first took over the club uh, with a season ticket um offer and kind of lee clark's attractive football i know turn it turnip was there for a while with his champagne football and beer money i mean you know some people are expecting champagne football on bloody tesco value beer money as i saw on twitter the other day if we have that blueprint and we have that vision i think it's something we get behind so i would like to see a little bit more from that but that goes back to cam's point of two-way communication because um people need to ask those questions and you're not going to get those questions asked by a statement or even uh, a, a, an interview in the examiner or even on Radio Leeds, unless your dad's doing it, Cam, we can butter him up with some questions. But we need a bit more of that two-way communication because, you know, we put something out on Twitter earlier um, asking what, what people wanted to, to us to talk about today. And and, and one, of, one of the points is from Neil Hutchinson. I hope you don't mind me uh, using your surname, Neil. Um, tell me off otherwise and, and, I, and I won't do it again. But, it, it, um, you know, he's asked how... how how if fans can't go to games, can we push for change at the top of the club? Um, it has to happen or fans like him are never going to return. It's that engagement that's going to make it fans like Neil and that vision that's going to keep fans like Neil. In my opinion, I might be wrong, taking his point out of consideration. How you keep them engaged and because if changes aren't made, as you said, guys, Bromby, etc., and, and the transfer committee, then we are just going to be in this situation and we're going to be a League One team potentially in a league with a salary cap, which is going to disproportionately affect us more than anyone else because probably if Sunderland and Ipswich are still in there, we are the biggest clubs, would be the biggest clubs in that division, maybe even Birmingham if they get relegated, and we have to spend the same as Rochdale. We don't have the best track record of spending money, exactly, do we? And I think that's something that maybe needs to be shouted a bit bit louder because I think I've seen a lot of uh, uh, romanticisation um, of the relegation to League One, we can hit the reset button. It doesn't work like that. It certainly doesn't work like that anymore. Look at, you know, does anyone, if anyone's got a Netflix uh, subscription, they'll know exactly what we're talking about, you know. Um, there's so many big clubs stuck in that bottleneck of League One, uh, and it, it just doesn't happen. You know, it's a difficult league to get out of, and it's a lot tougher and more, better contested than it was, I think, when we left it eight years ago. Um, so that's not the answer. It really isn't the answer. And so, and so, yeah, but then how do you get fans back on site? Well, obviously, the, the obvious aside in that results just and performances just have to improve. There's other things we can do in the meantime because that's not going to happen overnight. The, the, the slump isn't going to arrest itself uh, um, you know, over the course of the next week as much as we'd like it to. And so one thing in, amongst all this that I thought they could do well this week was the return of um, Boothies, Beer and Banter. Thought, okay, good. There we go. We're getting back to something that reaches out to the fans. It's not something really for fans of my age range, if I'm honest. But you know, for those of a, of a different generation, I saw a lot of people tweeting about how good that was, and they felt connected with club. Brilliant. That's exactly what people need in lockdown. Something to reach out to faces that will bring back fonder memories than you know the current performances will. That was right. I still think we need to reach out to the um, younger members of the fan base and. You know, because players like Phil Starbuck, etc. I'm sure it's it's great if you were watching town in the nineties, but for those, you know, um for those nineties kids like me, it's not really gonna it, it it doesn't really help. So again, you need to reach out to the young fans. And Gaz made a good point that young fans now ain't gonna be interested in watching town because there's just no there's no there's there's disconnect, you know, there's nothing really for them there. And so I think more has to be done for that sort of, you know, 
20 and under age range really and whether that's even if the same mold works you know just getting on um getting players on that we've seen in the last 20 years and, and, and having them speak to to younger fans etc it's just better that way isn't it because then there's something for everyone so it was a step in the right direction i thought for the club. um but all this is going to be you know extra to results on the pitch and and you know this is really damaged limitations i think just keeping the fans involved because they're going to vote with their feet next season when we're allowed back in, hopefully. And that's going to be majorly dependent on results. And so, you know, this could be the difference between getting 10,000 people in through the door and 12,000, you know. But then it, it you you don't want to miss out on those fundamental years where kids are going to go off and support Arsenal and Chelsea and Leeds, you know. And so, step in the right direction, but a lot to do still. A lot to do. Because we've been, you know, seeing sellouts 20 or 24,000 most weeks. For the last few seasons, and of course, that's going to slip slightly with every every division you drop. But we're going to be seeing half that again now. And I never thought I'd see that again, where it turned up and you know me and my mates and my mates dad used to guess the attendance on the walk down past the gas club, and it usually used to be about the twelve thousand mark. I thought well, that were you know something from days gone by. Well, that's going to be returning um, very soon, and so yeah, it's damage limitation now. And whilst it's just, whilst there's good signs needs to be more done for the younger because that's the future of the club and that's where you're going to get your support from and we're going to have an aging fan base if we don't connect with them just to sorry just to jump in i think i think you make a really good point there cam and i don't know if any any of you guys have seen um various people the the one that 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 you you mentioned gareth about uh sean jarvis um tweeting uh and, and I'm going to get his first name right uh, wrong, is it Peter Butler that used to play at town? And and I think he commented on it and was quite livid about what was going on. Someone posted something, uh, a Facebook message that um, Bullock had put on and he was absolutely seething. He couldn't, you know, and, and, and last week uh, Simon Trevitt had put something on about how he, you know, I just, Ed had gone with it kind of thing. Perhaps that's, you know, that just going back to the McArthur thing, you know, perhaps that's what they need around the club a little bit more, you know, a bit more honesty, a bit more compassion, people that actually care a bit about the club, you know, and, and, and you know, I'm not saying that Darren Bullock's going to come in and be a kind of <laughs> magician with the tactics or anything like that, but at least he might, he might bring a bit of realism and a bit more, um, you know, is is not the yes person or the the echo room as you were saying before? You know, maybe maybe that's something that that could change things at the club because there's there's certainly something that needs to change. Uh, you, uh, Nick, I know you're ready to speak, and I do apologise for interrupting, but you'd have thought with uh, Danny Schofield being in the back room stuff that'd be the perfect opportunity. You got John Wer- John Worthington involved as well. The two players that um, Cam, you know, you're talking about your generation. That is your generation of player. That was a team that so many people fell in love with. I mean, Camden doesn't really remember the Wadsworth years like I do, but, um, you know, my first team were late 90s, so I don't really know Bullock as well as uh, I know of him, but, you know, it, getting Scoffer and, and Worthington, who were, you know, two, two of the favourites, along with Andy Oldsworth, I think he's at Chef Wednesday at the minute, you know, there's there's a connection there, and they haven't been utilised enough. You know, we all love Danny Schofield. He carried that team for so many years. You know, he was a championship quality player in League One, or when he was playing alongside Danny Adams. You know, there's your opportunity to do that at the club, and they're not utilising it. No, and I <laughs> I agree with a lot of what everybody said. To, to be quite honest, I've, I've, my 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 main concern is the the impact of this on 
on the fan base moving forwards. You know, if you if you like me, an idiot like me that that'll go regardless. You know, we, we could be in League Two and I'd still go because I go for experience. I don't go for entertainment, Christ. No. I go for experience. I go with me, you know, me sit with my mum and dad, and it's, it's about the match day experience. But if if you're not that way inclined and you're basing your decision to get a season ticket or buy a ticket based on entertainment value alone, you're reading these comments saying, "Look, we're going to have to make further cuts." And I agree with Tristan what you said. We we are in a a difficult financial time, and I understand the situation we're in now. I, you know, the fact that we've gone from where we were in the Premier League to this situation now, I find absolutely atrocious. But we are where we are now. Um, but we're essentially saying that the team we've got, we're going to have to make further cuts, and we're going to have to bring players in on lower wages. So essentially, we've got a team that's struggling to compete in the Championship, and we're going to have to make cuts to it. So looking forward, as a, as a, you know, just a general fan, what? have I got to be excited about that's going to make me want to buy a season ticket? You know, and I'm, I'm, to be honest, I'm struggling to think of a reason, logical reason, why why you would get one. It, it looks like a, a club with sort of League One resources playing in the championship. And to be fair, like the, the past, you know, since we went up sort of 10 years ago, we, we've always struggled, haven't we? Barring that one one-off season that we went up, we've, we've been perpetual strugglers. We, and I think, to be honest, we are we, we will go down. I'd, even if it's not this year, I think we'll go down the, the year after because it's clearly just not sustainable for the club. And and I do worry that we'll be back in a situation where we're down to about 8,000 fans. I, I think they'll be in for a shot with the season tickets. I mean, can you imagine the atmosphere yesterday at that final whistle? You know, the, the, the looking away fans out there because I could see some people outside front door banging on door asking to see chairman after that performance. And it's just not very good times at the moment. And that's my worry, that we're going to be back to a situation. Like, I always remember Dean Oyl when he said about that game against Southend and we lost 2-0 at home and everyone just got up and walked out as if it were just accepted that, you know, it was just a mediocre, poor performance and... There were about 8,000 in ground and we were just going nowhere. And I, I I just dread that we're heading back to them days. And yeah, there's there's people like me who's not just right in the head that's always going to be there because it's it's a club I love and, you know, it's more about the experience and no matter what, you know, the heartache it causes and the mental and physical drain <laughs> on a match day that it causes, you always come back for more. A bit like a drug addiction, you always end up coming back. You can't help yourself. It's it's un- you, you can't stop coming back for more punishment. But a lot of fans aren't like that now. A lot of these younger fans, they don't remember those times and they, they remember as having a team that was, you know, you could get excited about the, the togetherness. You could get behind them. We were going places. All you want to see as a fan is a team that competes and that, that offers some form of entertainment. And um, and unfortunately, over the past sort of one, two, three seasons, we've just we've just not offering that. So I'm I'm that that reading that statement and looking long term, it is what it is. We are where we are. I've kind of accepted that we're going to be back in League One at, at some point. I just don't think a lot of the other fans will, and I ju- I just hate there to be a situation where we're back to eight thousand in the ground again. Because that in itself isn't sustainable. How do you get sustainable football club, by the way? We talk about sustainability. You name me one sustainable football club in championship. doesn't exist. You know, what do we mean by sustainable? We're never going to make a profit. It don't, it don't work like that in football. It's, it, it's very, very different to other businesses. It's, 
it's all right when you're selling loads of merchandise and loads of tickets like Man United, you, you know, and you can, but we, we, we're never going to, you know, it's a town. We, we're always going to have a limited fan base and a, and a limit, a ceiling on what we can sell merchandise wise and hospitality. So what do we mean by sustainable? Because to me, that means sort of basement league one, league two level. Well, that's a great point, Nick. Because <clears throat> last time Huddersfield Sound were truly, truly sustainable was when Ken Davey was in charge and Ken Davey won't stump up a few hundred quid a week for Gary Hooper because he, he pointed out that Tom Clark was only 150 quid a week. I don't see many 19-year-old footballers accepting 150 quid a week anymore. Uh, obviously, inflation would change that. But, um, you know, it's, it's you know that's not a wage, <laughs> really. And, and that that's what made that Jacko group of players extreme, extremely special is... is is you know, in effect, I, I always see two thousand and three four as being a, a rebirth of Huddersfield Town, and 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 at the minute, I see the death of Huddersfield Town. And you know what? A lot of people blame Phil Hodgkinson here, and, and it isn't his fault. It is a culmination of events, and it starts with Dean Hoyle, um, I think, and, and you know, obviously his illness did play some kind of part. But what he's done is gifted, in effect, the club to Phil Hodgkinson. Um, and he's taken out all the money he put in and given Phil, in normal circumstances, it would be fine a relegated club. The assets are the stadium and the players. But the players, bar Grant and Mounier, were worth fuck all. And then you've got the, the issue with the shares, uh, to which some, some bloke who's given me shit yesterday on Twitter said, oh, I don't have an opinion on it. How can you not have the, an opinion on our Biggest asset, you know, you, you're backing Phil to a hill, but you don't have the, they're not in trust yet. So, you know, Phil's been shafted by Hoyle and then, and to an extent, he's shafted himself. And we're in this situation just not because of one person. It's been, I, I still say the day that Stuart Weber left this club, maybe David Moss has been a succession of error after error after error from, from, your director of football operations, not having one for the, the yonks and then getting the wrong ones in to, to recruitment, to the way the club's been run. So we, we haven't even mentioned the OPE scandal and, and what would, uh, was coming out of that. Uh, was it the Athletic last week? Cam's nodding his head, so I must be right. Um, you know, all of this, Paddy Power, it's been a culmination of three, four, five years of, or four years of just error after error. And it will never get better than that penalty when I don't think it will ever get better, better than that. And and I think a lot of people have just got to accept that now. We want it to be better. We want that feeling, that rush, that excitement, that togetherness. But it's never going to be like that again, I don't think. And that is probably the hardest thing that fans are going to have to accept. Yeah. The, the, only, the only thing that's, that's different between now and, and the day before Schindler buried that penalty at Wembley is Dean's got his money back. You know that 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 lets you know without putting too fine a point on it that that's what's happened. You know we we spoke last week about the best time to sell the club was when we were in the Premier League, but you know you, if you believe the stories that you know Dean was doing this deal from Jimmy's hospital in in Leeds, you know so the guy was clearly concerned he wasn't coming out of hospital possibly. You know he, we, the guy was seriously ill, so you can understand how that changes somebody's mind. But I think the the issue for me is Nick was saying we've got a League One a team, a League One team, we've got a League One mindset 
that, that that's the bit. That's why we're going to end up a League One team because we've got a League One mindset. You know, Phil's already admitting defeat in a roundabout way in that that review. I can't I can't afford it. Can't afford it. So we're going to have to manage with what we do. And if we stop up, great. If we don't, we go down. And actually, from Phil's point of view, if he's if his individual wealth is what he's saying, i.e., I'm funding the club out of my businesses, being a League One club will be much easier for him to manage. He'll be a you know he'll be much more in control of that with the salary cap. Um, and from an individual's point of view, for him personally, that's probably going to be better. But I go back to what I said before. That the the biggest disappointment is we've wasted a once in a lifetime opportunity to make this club an average decent championship club. We were never we were never going to be a Burnley. We're not that good. I don't think I don't think we're even a Crystal Palace. You know, we're not we're nowhere near that level. But we should have been top six, top eight, top ten. That top thirty club thing that, that was a mantra we banged on for a long time. We'd every reason to believe after the Premier League promotion that was going to come to pass. And, you know, there's a lot of people who've got to take a lot of responsibility, but whether they do or not, I don't know if you sat at home and eating liver and onions off your gold plate or whatever it was somebody said yesterday, it doesn't half, half ease the pain. From my perspective and and, and on the, the League One kind of side of things, you know, and, and the sustainability side of it, is is now the point where you need to go back down the line of uh, signing your Pilkingtons, your Rhodes, uh, that kind of person? Because let's be honest, the the wage bill and 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 uh, I thought about this yesterday, and someone had said that they'd said last season that it was eighteen million, and and I'll be quite honest with you, I'd be absolutely amazed if if a team full of people like Lossell, uh, Emil Smith Rowe, uh, Mounier. Um, etc 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 was at 18 mil and this one was at 19 mil because working out working out just very 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 plain maths there's about 30 players in this squad and if you work out 19 million across a year it's about 12,000 an average wage of 12,000 well I can imagine Schindler's on it and probably double that I can imagine Stearman's on around or more than that I can imagine Keogh's probably probably the the lesser side of that. Campbell's probably on more than that. Uh, Ward's probably on something around that. And Benza probably pushing towards twenty. Backer pushing towards twenty. Hog pushing towards twenty. Are we saying that these lads? I'm not going to say deserve it, but are we going to say that these lads are a commander? You know, we, if if we if we think that. A sustainable model, or the club thinks that a sustainable model is is spending less than nineteen million. Yet we've got all these players contributing to something that is nineteen million, and we think that the league won. Then quite obviously they are getting it wrong, aren't they? You know, and and they are getting they are getting these kind of transfers wrong. And and actually, do we want do we want this? What is perceived to be experience in the squad with with your Stearmans and your and your Campbells and whoever or do we want to go back to you know lads that that are coming through someone like like this um lad that that's gone to Luton um Adebayo is it or whatever Adebayo um you know do we actually just want to sign lads like him and bring him in at six or seven grand and appreciate that that one week he might put one of at bar from two yards out, but the next week he might score an absolute worldie. And 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 we bring him, you know, we bring him through and we go on that journey with him almost. You know, is is that what we enjoy seeing? 
as long as he, he gives 100% every week. They've got to be of a certain quality to get a game at championship level, Tristan. So that that you know that's always going to be a caveat to any signing. They've got to have the potential or the ability to play at that level. But you know what I want to see is good men. I want to see people who who care, who care about the football club, and not just I'm not just wearing a shirt and drawing a wage. And I'm that's not I'm not saying that is the case with every town player, by the way. Just before everybody jumps in, it, it, you know, but we we don't have enough of those. You look around the the team that got promoted out of the championship; it was full of captains, full of people who who led by example, who didn't accept people performing below standard. Somebody made a mistake; you make a mistake. Second mistake, you don't you know you made a mistake, and that and that was the, the that's the the bit of difference for me. We we've got to try and get back to, and if we're going to be sustainable, by the way. We don't need a we don't need a benefactor. In which case, we might as well get the club should be fan owned. Then, if that's the case, if we're not having a benefit, we're sustainable and we don't need to have an investment on an annual basis to operate. Why do we need Phil? Why do we need Dean? the The question is the question is though, Gaz, is 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 actually that, and and I don't know whether you were saying it tongue in cheek or not. Would we be, would we bet would we be better as a community club? Because actually. At least, at least fans when they want communication and 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 a say in what happens, they'll get it. <laughs> you know, because actually, the sustainability model of it is either you you run as a club that's that's a, that's a business, or you run as a community community asset. You know, and and is that is that what folk want? I don't know. I don't know whether you can. I don't know whether anyone could ever thrive at, at being a community asset. The question is then, though, I think Gaz, you said it last week. There's, there's, when people want fans to run, be, be the business owners of a football club, there's only going to be a handful who are, who are actually going to have the, the wealth to do it. Um, so it's either su- su- succeeding to someone who isn't a fan or uh, or letting fans run it. it it's just, it, it's a kind of, you're caught in between two avenues. And Dean, when Dean Hoyle was at his best, he, he was both combined wasn't he and and you know for those couple of years where Dean Oil was properly engaging in the football club especially that year we went up it was special um, but we are where we are and unfortunately there's more questions than there is answers at the minute and, and I, I suppose that statement provided as much um, I realise we've been waffling on for an hour so um, I think it's only fair to wrap it up this, this debate will of course rumble on into the week and and, and Carlos Corbran is now favourite to get the chop in, in the, the championship so it'll be interesting to see what happens with that it'd be, a, it'd be a bold decision after sacking the Cowleys and going in a different direction to, to then turn your back on that, that that's for sure and um, we shall see what comes of it gentlemen thank you all for your time and there are, there are people that, that drop questions on, on the old Twitter that I just haven't I got around to, to to mentioning so thank you for your engagement too Um We'll be back next week and hopefully we might be back with some points. We have Middlesbrough up next. Um, it's a Warnock team, but they're also struggling at the minute, so you never know. We, we need something special. Um, Cam, Gaz, Tristan, Nick, thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much for listening. Until next time, goodbye. <laughs>